You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello and welcome to Why We Do What We Do. This is your host, Abraham. And your co-host, Ryan O. And so kick us off, Ryan O. All right. So today we're going to be describing and talking about personalities, right? Yeah, and personality tests, and man, there's a lot to unpack here. So if I were to ask you to describe your personality, what's it like? Friendly, creative, timid, outgoing? There's all sorts of different things you can use, right? Yeah. Is there any that you use particular, Abraham? Um, I actually don't know. I, you know, I, I was really interested in personality a long time ago, and when I got a per- and I took a personality test, I've taken a few of them now, and um, you know, I, I felt so validated when I took them and uh, and what it said about me. And initially, it had described me as being introverted. But as I have gained a lot more friends and become a lot more competent in the topics that I do and um, become sort of, um, well, I'm, you know, the credentialed professional now, that I, I have found myself enjoying being more sort of extroverted and um, spending time with people. So Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways we can look at these things, right? Um, I think the place to start is that it's we have been characterizing each other for centuries. So Hippocrates, right, was looking at this balance of phlegm, blood, yellow, and black bile. So this idea that there were humors in the body that controlled or at least influenced our behavior and that uh, an imbalance of those would lead to um, inappropriate behavior. And my understanding is that traditional Chinese medicine still kind of looks at earth, wind, fire, water, metal. And this idea of like energies and stuff that were there were, there were 12 energies linked to the 12 main rivers in China, um, which is where um, acupuncture comes from. Yes. And then there's other traditional Hindu um and I don't know how to say this. Aru, do you know how to say that? I actually don't. Aru, uh, <laughs> Arvedic? Arvedic, or, or maybe? Arvedic Medicine. Maybe. Um, they use like these unique combinations of mon- mind and body principles they call doshas. And then there's Freud, who is really looking at the differences between these urges and id, ego, um, and the superego, right? Yeah, and how the conflicts between them are essentially the foundations from which personality and uh, and character traits sort of come. Yeah, Maslow is even kind of related to this as well. Like your basic hierarchy and needs need to be met before you could really get into your who you are and how, what you can actualize yourself as, right? Sure. Um, and then there's just like the conglomerate of Facebook or whatever it is, you know, like your social media platform is, um, where all these social feeds are just blasting out like how to tell what your personality type is. And it's right. just this whole area of clickbait that just probably has some phenomenal numbers behind it that I should have looked up, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's um, okay. And I think all these are pretty interesting because they're related to what we recorded on the past called what is the self, you know, and like looking at the self, like it's very directly related, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to re- reiterate this point that um, personality refers to our way of categorizing behaviors in such a way that we say that this pattern of behaviors is a certain personality type and this pattern of behaviors is a different personality type. And these often exist on a spectrum. Um, again, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, where I had originally been introverted, well, on a spectrum of introverted to extroverted or being very um, sort of a lone wolf to being um, and wanting to do things by myself to being uh, really want to be engaged with others. And so that's how some of these personality categories are arranged is on a spectrum and some of them aren't some of them are more like you just have more or less of this particular trait and we'll talk about what those are but it's just in general personality is something that i would say philosophers and psychologists but i think even 
prior to there being a sort of even systematic approach to psychology, philosophers have been talking about personality, at least in the sense of being able to understand, describe, explain, predict behavior, and doing so in such a way that they are really creating these categories of behavior. And that's what that personality is. And so that actually brings us to a more modern definition of personality and the one that's uh, contemporary and mostly used by your again sort of psych 101 book i use bring that up a lot yeah and again the purpose of this is to say like what are these common concepts and that's why i use it but uh that personality refers to those individual differences and characteristic patterns of thinking feeling and behaving that's straight from the book okay and so uh, the, the study of personality focuses primarily on in two two broad areas one is understanding individual differences and particular personality characteristics such as like sociability or irritability and that sort of thing and the other is understanding how the various parts of a person form their whole personality type or their whole character and um there have been, as you mentioned, many theories of personality, and there still are many theories of personality uh, that exists. And uh, so the two, two that I'm going to talk about right now are called trait theory and then the social cognitive theory of personality. Okay. All right. So jump into trait theory first. All right. So trait theory is that there is a characteristic pattern of behavior or disposition to feel or act in a certain way. Okay. And in trait theory, this, and they explicitly say that this is less concerned with trying to explain those traits or those behaviors rather than simply labeling them and describing them. Okay. So someone who is, um, who is very emotional might be described as being uh, having a feeling personality trait and having that being influential in their decision making. Um, and not that uh, that explains their decision making, but simply saying that we see these emotions happen and that precedes your decisions. We're going to call that an emotional trait. Okay. And we've talked about this a bit, um, but there is uh, this goes back to this idea of circular reasoning where just because you name something and you, you, label it some way that is in no way explaining it. That's simply a, a verbal description of the thing. And so if you see someone who's behaving in such a way that emotions are very prominent, and then you say that is a emotional person, you have not explained what they're doing. You've just simply given it a name. And, uh, that's, it's just important to know that that is not an ex an explanatory, um, I guess system or, yeah. how, or it doesn't tell you why it occurs. Yeah. Simply defining these like stable or lasting overarching behavioral patterns doesn't really do us more than the description, right? Exactly. And inside of the trait theories, they make a distinction between what they call traits and what they call behaviors. And in their distinction that they make there, uh, traits are patterns of behaviors, plural. So this big overall arching theme of how people tend to react to things that is relatively consistent. That's a trait. Okay. So it's not always going to be one single instance is, is, um, is emblematic of that trait. There might be things that, that vary from how that trait is, but on average, that's what a trait is. And then a behavior instead, according to this, is a specific instance of an action where it might be within or varied from what the average of that trait normally is. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, some modern trait researchers, Robert McRae and Paul Costa. Okay. Do you do you follow or read into them ever? I I, okay. I think of other names, but I, I don't know anything specifically that yeah. they've done. Yeah. And I don't dive deep into them, but they had these things called the big five. 
Oh, yes. And the big five, I mean, that's what all of personality research comes down to. Okay. Well, not all of The vast majority of people agree that there's five personality traits. Am I, am I getting too far ahead? You, you jumped ahead just a little bit. Okay. I'm going to um, reel that back. That's okay. What's interesting is um, even people who really endorse this idea of personality as being something that's useful to understand in psychology and, and people who research it, they have specifically been quoted as saying, and be, you know they understand this very well, is that people do not act with predictable consistency. And now I personally think that they're, that is true and untrue simultaneously but it also highlights the point that personality is descriptive of the average and um and again there's another quote that i didn't actually include in here but uh the psychologists have said it will not tell you how a a individual person will behave in a particular circumstance it will tell you how they are likely to react on average yeah so predicting generalities is useful uh to some degree so like i know for example how to kind of approach someone if i were to understand where they kind of are on the these various personality things right, right. um I've also understood that by adulthood, they're presumed to be pretty stable, but then context could change the likelihood of these different things. Yes. I'm so glad you said this. This is something else that came up in, uh, in something I was, I think it was a podcast, but it may have been a news article where someone was just sort of boldly making the claim, your personality is set by the time you're 30 or your personality is set by the time you're 23. It is the case that in general, personalities become more um, consistent past a certain age, but it is absolutely not mean that they are fixed. They can completely be changed and they will. And again, it's coming back to this idea that you have an average that that is the general stable, um, predictable pattern in a way, but that t- t- absolutely does not tell you how someone's going to behave in a given circumstance. And so take for someone, for example, that you know is very angry. They blow up at the slightest provocation mm-hmm. and um, especially you know that they're angry whenever you uh, you ask them for help with something. Okay, well, I'm just making up a hypothetical person. They don't that they yeah, know yeah. what I'm really saying. It's Following you, not a person. Yeah, just so people know that I'm not trying to call it someone. I'm, I'm literally yeah, just yeah. making this up whole cloth. So then you really need something, and you're like, shoot, this is the only person that can help me. I'm going to go to them, but I'm really, really afraid. Well, it just so happens on that day, they got a really big raise and um, they got a lot of really good news. They got a good sleep the last night. They just eaten a really good meal and you came up and you asked them for help and they're like, uh, yeah, sure, I can do that. And it's completely unexpected. And again, it's because personality <laughs> is not necessarily going to tell you how they're always going to act in that particular circumstance. All of those things that normally contribute to how they typically behave are, are different. Mm-hmm. And so that changes it, which brings, I think, a whole point to... Um, where personality and the pers- uh, personality types lacks uh, the predictive and general utility um, of of being able to just tell someone how to interact or r- really give a prescription for um, what is going to work for any one particular person. And so personality test scores, um, actually looking at the research, they, they really very weakly predict those specific instances of behavior for the most part. Um, and then given enough sort of leeway, you can correlate an enormous amount with personality, especially because personality is so flexible and there can be so much uh, range and variability on the average that someone might demonstrate that um, you can find just about anything you want with enough, you know, so, sort of flexible wiggle room in there to say that this personality type correlates with this and while that might be true for some that won't be true for others and you just need to go through and cherry pick your instances using that those selective samples to make it look like you've gathered evidence going you know back to this idea of uh in a way well i'm not gonna I'm not going to throw, I was going to yeah, say yeah. case studies, but I don't want to throw case studies under the bus, but that was a criticism of case studies, but that's the idea of being able to sort of cherry pick those examples. And so in a sense, 
it is it makes like com it makes conceptual sense and it's kind of common sense that if you can see someone doing something, you can see their overall pattern of behavior, you can make some inferences about that behavior, and you can also say, we at least know that they can do this because we've already seen it happen. So it might make sense then to say that they might do more of that because we already know that it's something that they can and will readily do. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you are that, that category is uh, necessarily completely accurate, and it may not be that you have accounted for all of the things that are relevant in that particular instance. And, um, and again, these researchers have found that the moment to moment situations are really integral in influencing someone's behavior. And, and the mention I mentioned about that person having a really great day, even though they're typically very angry, um, that it tells a lot and it has a lot of implications for this entire concept of personality, let alone the research field that needs to try and deal with this because it's like, you have all of these researchers who are trying to understand how does biology contribute to behavior and what is behavior and rel- relative to biology. And then you have these other people who are looking at how does the circumstances and life experiences contribute to behavior and how do we study that so we understand behavior. And then this third group comes in and they're like, well, how does personality that is, I guess, different from biology and different from environment and it's its own thing influence behavior. And it's, it's like everybody's sort of trying to get a piece of this. And, um, the, um, I'm going to say this and I don't want to, make anybody mad but it's like this this particular section of this personality is sort of creating its own version of reality so that they can study it <laughs> they're like and this is this goes back to the uh, i mentioned in the i think it was the self episode of reification where it's sort of you you have a category that you created to describe things that are happening and now you're looking for that category out in reality you're trying to to study the thing that you've invented yeah, and I will say, I guess that there is, I think, a degree to which, like, uh, trying to put things out there in some sort of packageable way, like, you kind of get forced sometimes to do this in a way. So, like, capitalism, sure. like, I can, I have to copyright and put things together. Like, if I want to put it out in some sort of format, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes there's, I guess, influences that are beyond that that I could see, you know, like, you, it's, my thing is like I empathize somewhat towards them because so there's other factors here too. Okay. So I guess saying that it is understandable that there is motivation to want to study and understand personality. And I think that it's also worth pointing out, although I've said that I, I feel like this field is sort of, it's reifying its concept. It's trying to study something that's made up. On the other hand, there is some usefulness that can come out of this. And I also understand well, that there are variables that contribute to wanting to study something like this that gives you a line of research and it gives you um, ways of interacting with people. Yeah. So if I wanted to like market something personality based, like me packaging in something that hasn't been packaged in any other way before, deems it to then copyright, trademark, uh, maybe patent sort of things, depending on the situation, and I can move that way. Not saying it is something that is good or bad necessarily um i think it's an i think it's another force that drives why we why we do what we do yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) um now there are a lot of different ways as you mentioned online you can just google personality test you will get you will get many of them um on on facebook there are some there's all kind of bots that will run them for you um there are a couple that i'm going to talk about because um the some of the most widely used ones. Um, and one specifically is called the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory or the MMPI. 
And the, the questionnaire covers a wide range of feelings and behaviors, and they really try and assess a lot of different traits at once, and they'll jump around from one trait to another so that it's you're not just predicting that they're you know trying to keep you on one particular theme. And um, these have been psychometri psychometrically validated, which means that they've done a ton of research to ensure that they're measuring what they're intending to measure and all of that. Um, and so and these are these are very popular. They're recognized as um, being. I guess I want to say one of the most researched personality inventories that exists. And what's interesting about this too, is that this was originally designed to test for emotional disorders. So it was really looking and it was initially a diagnostic tool for people who were having some kind of mental disorder, specifically with their emotions, um, but has really been adapted and developed to apply to a wide range of screening processes that uh, can encompass, uh, encompass all of these traits and characteristics such that it is, um, I guess, more applicable to a wider range of, of things that people will do. And this actually kind of leads to uh, how these things are organized around, as you were mentioning, uh, the, the fact that they have noticed if you sort of generally categorize human behaviors, you expand that, you can really um, capture the vast majority of people and their behavior around the globe, even across cultures. And that's, as you mentioned, the big five. And uh, these are sort of the most general categories that you can apply to a set of behaviors that someone's going to engage in um, or that, um, I guess, patterns that people will demonstrate um, as part of their culture. And again, they vary by culture, but they are relatively consistent such that they can be measured pretty much everywhere that they're applied. Yeah. So it makes up this uh, acronym either OCEAN or CANOE. If yeah. you care to try to remember them in those sort of ways. Right. Um, so we have conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness, and extroversion. Right. And so um, they, they kind of... They kind of are self-explanatory in that way. Conscientiousness is, you know, how aware you are of things and, um, I guess, thoughtful about yeah. thing. empathy as well. Are, are you organized, careful, disciplined? Are you more disorganized, impulsive, those sort of things? Yeah, agreeableness is, you know, how, um, I guess, sort of socially adept are you at... Um, are you ruthless yeah. or are you kind of uh, open and trusting, Being right? Being friendly, that sort of thing. Uh, neuroticism uh, obviously has to do with you know sort of anxiety and your um, attention to detail sort of stuff. Openness, how willing you are to share uh, with other people and sort of express yourself. And then extroversion is um, your, uh, I guess, desire to be inside of social situations yeah. around people. Yeah, you're really reserved or you're very like sociable and open. And so I think it's probably worth asking, you know, uh, if these are characteristics that are common to people and then we want to understand uh, how to what extent these are really present and uh, to what extent these can be attributed in one way or another to, I guess I want to say biology and then um, cultures and that sort of thing. And so I guess the question is if you ask, are these stable and are they heritable and are they predictive? And by heritable, I mean, um, you know, passed on through generations. Like if you see this in a mother, would you see this in their child and whatnot? And the answer to this, to all of those things, is mostly yes. So mostly they are stable. Mostly you see commonalities among descendants, and mostly they do allow you to predict. However, there's some very important uh, um, considerations in there. First of all, there are many traits that sort of start to disappear over time as you're developing. As you're younger, you will tend to have a low level of conscientiousness and a... Um, 
a also low level, typically a low level of neuroticism. And those things can increase as you go on. Uh, and you often have a higher level of openness when you're younger, which will often sort of wane. So a lot of things will sort of go towards a more neutral sort of ground for one thing. But um, often you just have that some things will start off really low and they'll increase. Some things will uh, start off really high and they'll decrease. In addition, um, there is, uh, emotions are just, they're not, they are not steady or static at all. Emotions change with a high level of rapidity and those interact with these personality characteristics in a way that makes it so, um, they're difficult to, to predict exactly how they're going to go. Some of these, as I mentioned, specifically the, the two that increase a lot, um, is, uh, conscientiousness on average. They found that people in their twenties, their conscientiousness really starts to increase how much they sort of think about their place in the world and their thoughtfulness of, around others and that sort of thing. And, uh, also agreeableness tends to increase, especially, um, they found on average as people get into the thirties. Now for other people, it's exactly the opposite and life circumstances play a huge role in this. Um, but I think just going back to this understanding about how this exists and persists and that question of heritability in twin studies, which again, need a whole episode on those and how they work or don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is related to, to specifically, is this genetic um, and is this passed on? They predict that this is about 50% genetic. And I don't know exactly what they mean by that. If they mean that like, you have two children. One of them is going to get 100% of your personality and the other one will get 0%. Or if it's like both of them are going to get half of it, but then the other half is a mystery or, you know, the, you can expect about a 50% correlation. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, there is it's just so much that goes into that. It is it's, like, it's really complicated yeah. and it's, it's just a percentage is not a number that makes a lot of sense when you're talking about something like personality traits and how much they can vary and how broad that can be interpreted. Yeah. How broad I mean, that even, can be interpreted. Yeah. Even myself, like I'm still very introverted when it comes to like meeting new social groups and circles and things. And it's because I'm going to watch and make sure I'm not stepping on people's toes and understand the degree to which I want to speak up or want to be a part of that group. Right. And sure. the value they have back for me, at least as I perceive it. Um, so like I can be literally seen as introverted and I've had this like, like, Oh, he's kind of the quiet dude. And then like six months later, like, Whoa, what happened to him? And it's just like, that's how I kind of roll. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get used to you before I open up and really be myself, you know? Well, and then there are circumstances under which that you might uh, even right off the bat be uh, very loud and sort of in charge. And especially when you were leading something or having to, to be put in a position where you are uh, managing a large group of people. And the other thing that's a little bit confusing about this whole idea of even trying to study this in terms of uh, heritability is that we've talked about so far the role of the brain and the role of genes and subsequent episodes. And for those of you who haven't listened to those, the general summary is that genes and brain make up our, well, obviously there's more than that, but those are part of our biological makeup. That's just part of who we are um, as organisms and that um, our our circumstances and our environment and our culture, those are also part of who we are and that those things influence one another and that you don't ever get one without the other. So in a way it's 100% genes and 100% the environment and 100% the brain. And because all of those things, it's, it's both. You don't, you just don't get to have genes without the environment. You just don't get to have the brain without the environment. Those are things that they are, they work together continuously. So in a way it's heritable in the sense that you produced offspring and they have the capacity to have these emotions and then you put them in a situation where you are demonstrating those types of reactions and emotions and personality traits to them and even in the cases when you're not these are so subjective that it's like 
if you have two people who act exactly the same but have no biological relation whatsoever except for you know the ancient hominid ancestor then how do you explain their behavior because they aren't biologically related um well there are circumstances that can produce those exact same outcomes. And um, I know there was a, there was a really funny example of this that was looking at if there were, there were two twins who were separated at birth and they were um, uh, monozygotic twins, which means that they were in a sense identical. They came from the same egg and um, uh, they were separated at birth. They didn't know each other. They grew up and they found each other and they had the same jobs and they liked the same music and they had wives with the same names. There's no gene that tells you what kind of music to like. There's no gene that tells you what kind of job to have. And there is no gene that tells you you prefer a woman that has this particular name at all. But there are coincidences and coincidences happen. And when you're both raised in an era where there are particular bands that are really popular, it's very likely that two people are going to like those bands simultaneously because by definition they're popular, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not surprising at all that they're going to like uh, the same kind of music. Um, there are a handful of jobs that pay really well that maybe lend themselves to a particular physical strength. And in this case, there were firefighters um, that it's not that unlikely that they could both end up being firefighters. And how many times is it the case that identical twins did not go on to have the same job? This is a very Most good question to ask. Yes. <laughs> Most of the time. So yeah, it's great to look at those examples and say, Whoa, that's really cool. And that's awesome. And we've learned something about that. Um, it 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 just doesn't like it's always going to be that the the mix of those things that are related like yeah maybe they had an increased capacity to feel empathy for people and that was what led them to a position to to uh, be influenced or uh, persuaded to take on a job that allowed them to help people a lot or something like that um but it's just important to know that like it doesn't make a lot of sense to say heritability man i went off on that for a very long time (laughs) you did well let's (laughs) i liked it okay it was good um and we mentioned how they're predictive as well. And I guess I'll just do a brief summary on that. Yes, they are predictive to the extent that you are able to give a general pattern of how people behave on average. And again, to the extent that we have already described how, uh, how someone generally behaves and how they act. And so we will assume that we'll continue to see more than that. But again, with a giant limitation on there that um, in no case does personality predictive of how a specific person will act in a specific instance when you haven't also accounted for all of the other circumstances that might influence them. You know, someone who's normally very calm might be very anxious if they're running late. Someone who's um, very uh, engaged with a people and very extroverted might be very quiet if they're feeling really sick. And there are all these circumstances that will influence that. All right. Good job. Take a breath. Okay. Okay. Got my breath. Ready to move on. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's another thing inside of personality research that I actually really like this. And this was developed by, um, I believe it was Bandura. Um, and he did a lot of interesting research, but he had this idea that he called reciprocal determinism. And he. So my understanding is that this is like uh, these sort of personal factors in the environment kind of operate interlocking with each other. So they both kind of work with each other, there's right? Like three. one influences the other? There's three things. There's behavioral factors, internal factors, and environmental uh, factors. Oops, I left the behavioral out. I always think that way. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that's okay. Um, and so, yeah, the idea that inter- internal personal factors are like your mindset about things, environmental factors are like your experiences with things, and then behavioral factors are what you're actually doing, right? And yeah, so the idea in reciprocal, meaning they all interact with one another, and determinism, meaning that they all follow like a general... Um, a, a consistent, understandable pattern that could be described um, and observed objectively. And uh, so 
an example of this that I came up with was, let's say you have a positive experience watching horror movies. Okay. And so that's your personal history that influences your perception of those movies. And so your opinion about them, that's your internal factor. And oh, so the personal history being your behavior and that affects how horror movies influence your current behavior. And so that's your environmental factors. So in the instance that there is an opportunity to watch a horror movie, you might make that choice because and and that is your behavior which is influenced by uh, your perception of that movie uh, which was also influenced by the fact that it's available and so all of those things sort of work together and that no one of those things is the only variable but all three of them are necessary to understand how um, behaviors are likely to occur and that uh, that was the the reciprocal determinism theory i guess or maybe hypothesis um, about how um, those factors interact with one another all right, so there's this other controversy as well, right? Yeah. So there's the person and the situation. So do we stay the same in different situations or do we change to meet the situation is the question. Right, and for the most part, people change to meet the, the situation. However, they tend to use the same type of performance and behaviors and actions that they typically use because that's what they know how to do. So if your only solution for solving things is to stand up and be really bold and loud, then uh, that's a strategy you're likely to employ in situations even when you're not sure what to do. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. You're a product of what you've done in the past and what's worked. Yep. To some degree, at least. Yeah. Okay. The, the next question is, you know, how are these traits likely to pers persist across situations, which is virtually the same answer. You know, it's there, if you're likely to do the things that you already know how to do, the strategies that you employ, and even if it's not, you're actively thinking, I'm going to behave this way in this circumstance, you have already had like the thing that you are already doing the most of, and you're the best at, and you have the most developed and has been the most effective for you. That's what you're likely to come into. So in a sense, um, the, the person's uh, situation controversy is that are you likely to just do what you already do or are you going to adapt? Well, it's both. You're going to do what you already do because that's what you know how to do and you're going to adapt it to, to the situation as you gain experience in that situation. And so basically, in general, you tend to find a way of, of doing things that works for you, even if it's not ideal. Even there, you know, these are things that are things that you would like to change and these might even become problematic for you down the road, but initially at least they work for you. And even in some circumstances when they, when on average they don't generally work for you, they still kind of work for you and you get used to doing things in a particular way and you practice those same things repeatedly. This is going back to that anger management thing we talked about, you know, if you're angry and you punch a wall, is that going to help you calm down? As you practice those same types of things, you're going to be more likely to do more of those things. And so, you would really expect over time your personality to mostly conform to what is the most effective, the easiest, and the most comfortable for you. Um, and those are the patterns that you're going to mostly hang on to. And so they tend to become more stable and consistent. And it's not really that it's like, boom, I'm 30 years old, my personality set in stone. It's that they gradually become more and more consistent as you sort of hone what works best for you. And again, this isn't necessarily that conscious process of I'm making this decision of how I'm going to act from now on, although sometimes it is. Um, but it's more of just this little tweaks and trials and error of things that you sort of get used to reacting to things or not reacting to things in particular ways. All right, so you just hit trait theory. The other side of this uh, where a lot of uh, perspective or different research has been done has been in the uh, social cognitive perspective. So this one, we've talked about Bandura and the Bobo doll. We've at least referenced them a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So they were looking at particular, if I recall correctly, um, modeling aggression, right? And the yeah. extent to which that modeling actually led to the children engaging in aggression. Yeah, exactly. That they would, um, if, 
an adult went in and like a kid was watching him through a window or a video or something and the adult punched and kicked and um, did all these things as a boba doll, the kid would go in and do similar things. But if they had not observed that, then they might not go in and do nothing at all or they might play with it or, you know, it was very different. But um, have observing that type of behavior was likely to result in them um, doing that same type of behavior themselves. So my understanding here is it's the interaction of our traits and the social context. Yeah, and so to break up the words, just social and cognitive, what, in social cognitive theory of personality, social refers to learning behaviors through conditioning and observation and how specifically we learn those inside of our cultures and our upbringing. And then cognitive is, is with respect to how we interpret and we perceive and think um, about those situations and how that will subsequently influence our behavior. And um, it was interesting to me when I was reading this in the uh, in that textbook, the, the Psych 101 textbook, they said, um, in the social cognitive theory of personality, instead of how instead of focusing on how our environment controls us, and then in parentheses behaviorism, we study how it interacts. And so, to just clarify on that point, there seems to be a misunderstanding about what behaviorism is, because in the behaviorism school of thought, it specifically says it is the study of the interaction between the organism and its environment. So. You know, if they're saying that the social cognitive theory is how our environment and our our bi biology interact, well, that's exactly the position that the behaviorists were taking. So I don't know exactly what they were referencing there, but if you look at those two textbooks, you'll see that exact same definition in understanding behavior and how it um, how they interact. I guess the the main difference there is that in the the cognitive psychologist approach, as opposed to the behavior behaviorist approach, there is a hypothetical mental event. Um, that is also said to play a part in this in terms of the thought. Well, the thoughts are, are accounted for in the behaviorism as well, but it's that uh, the thoughts play a role that causes the behavior instead of being a behavior um, and that they're somehow fundamentally different from behavior. That's where the cognitive and the behaviorist school tend to differ on, um, on understanding that interaction. But overall, um, it's not behaviorism is not just focusing on how environment controls us. It is the interaction. Um, so there was just a, mis a misunderstanding I wanted to clarify there. All right. So the social cognitive is just the fact that we kind of learn by watching and imitating others, kind of like the social aspect, but then also we think about it as cognitive. If yes. We're going to kind of put it simple. Totally. Um, so the idea is that people in situations are why we do what we do. <laughs> yep. Now, the they argue that, uh, and I would agree with all of this in general, that they reciprocate off of each other or they influence each other to some degree. So that is like you're likely to think about things that are around you and vice versa. So uh, if I'm reading certain types of books that I think my friends are going to like, then I might be more likely to go hang out with those friends and talk about them and vice versa, right? Yep. So after getting done with the podcast, I might go home, grab a book related to something you and I were talking about and read up on it. Um, so it is that they influence each other. Like you're saying, there's multiple schools of thought that do believe that those things reciprocate off of each other. Um, and the, so the kind of larger idea here is that we could be both the creators and the products of the situations that we find ourselves in, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah. So I guess it puts a little bit of, um, ownership on not just it, it sort of says, okay, you are responsible and you're not responsible. And that responsibility is a part of this in terms of understanding that there is sort of a controlling agent, which goes back to our idea of the self in a way. Um, another one, I meant to bring this up when we were talking about the psychoanalytic or Freudian theory of personality. But one thing that came out of this and in personality tests is this idea of what's called a projective test. And this actually exists in multiple types of, psych, um, I guess, psychological investigation across cultures. And so in some cultures, the projection test, the idea is that you are given something that is abstract and it doesn't, it doesn't really look or feel or seem like something else. And you are then explaining it the best you can. And the idea of, the, uh, of this is that you are 
the theory or hypothesis is that you're projecting your personality onto the abstract thing that you're seeing. Which we actually covered in depth in our episode on projective tests. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you should go back and check out that episode. The last section that I had for really talking about personality tests in before we wrap up and kind of give our, our main sort of global statements about what personality is and how we use it is where personality tests show up for um, organizations and employment and stuff like that and for jobs. And there are two different routes that people take with this. One is that people will use, will take personality tests to try and find jobs that will fit their personality. So people who are seeking employment. And then the other one is for the organization that is hiring people and administering a personality test to them to see how well they are going to fit inside of their organization in a way. Okay. Yeah. So those can be like, there's different types. So there's test questions or pictures or true, false, agree, disagrees are the really typical one, right? Yeah. Oh, great point. We didn't actually talk about how, what they consist of. That's, I'm glad so you maybe like, do you enjoy being around others? And it's like, yes or no. Um, or statements that lead you to these sort of like far ends, right? Yeah. Like, do you agree or not with these like opposite ends of the spectrum is my understanding. It, uh, if you were at a party, are you the life of the party or are you sit quietly in the corner and people yeah. watch like stuff like that? That's a, that is not yeah. an example. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, yeah, it would be things like uh, while at the party, I'm the life of the party. True or false. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. While so. at the party, like later on, you'll find while at the party, I'm uh, the one that's sitting in the corner kind of quiet and enjoying myself. Yeah. True or false. Right. And they'll often, so they'll represent the exact same type of question later in the, uh, the test to see um, if you get a consistent a answer when the uh, question is flipped a little bit as you just did. And um, what's funny about this is I, when I took my personality test and I, I didn't realize that what was going on with them asking them in different ways. And so my thought was when I saw it, I'm like, okay, well, this is the exact same type of question, but I think they're trying to get at something different here. So I'm going to, like, I could say yes to this one and that would be true in some instances. And so a lot of what I find problematic in this whole assessment process is that you rule out what kind of I guess justification people might bring to the table and how they take these tests and how they're interpreting your questions yeah, such that well, you might yeah. get these I really mean, wild My results. understanding is things like the that uh, MMPI, that Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, can actually be used to identify emotional disorders. So like are you kinda like internally kind of getting flagged for like well, that was because how, of that, you know, like, that was what was originally designed for. Yeah. I'm saying earlier, and they have expanded that's, it to be more of like a personality test, but yeah. that was what it has been used for. My understanding that's the most widely used, widely used one. And there's, uh, at least now currently 567 true false questions. Jeez. It's crazy, right? And then the other one that we didn't mention was called the Myers-Briggs personality test, which I've taken. Um, and that one gives you basically four categories. And there's like a whole chart um, that's broken up into uh, the four categories they talk about, which was the um, introverted or extroverted um, sensing or using your intuition, thinking or uh, feeling. And this is related to making decisions or judging or perceiving. So the questions are, are you outwardly or inwardly focused? Extroversion, introversion. Are you, uh, how do you prefer to take in information? which is either sensing or your intuition uh, how do you prefer to make decisions thinking or feeling and then how do you prefer to live your outer life are you judging or are you perceiving and so then they have this um, this four by four grid of uh, like matrix of how they all overlap where you could be any combination of any of those four um, so there's basically 16 different um, possible personalities in the entire world, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so these so these person personality tests for jobs are used either by the person looking for the job or the employer themselves, right? Yeah. Then what's what else is going on here? I guess. Well, uh, so the 
yeah, bringing it back to the jobs, the personality tests assist employers to evaluate how likely, uh, well, they're supposed to, I guess, assist employers in, in evaluating how likely someone who is applying to their job is likely to hel- uh, handle the relevant work-related activities, such as managing stakeholders, working in teams, complying with rules and regulations, solving problems in a practical manner, leading others, coping with stress, pressure, and, and uh, other things like that. And so they are likely to see candidates um, whose personality traits match those particular requirements. And so, um, and I found this specifically on a, a job website um, that they were saying, these are the kind of things that employers are looking for. And so this actually gets to one of the problems that I have with this as a screening tool is that someone who is moderately competent enough to decide that they need a job and walk into a building will probably be able to understand to some capacity that there are certain potentially right and wrong answers on this. Even though the employers will say there is no right and wrong answers, there kind of are. And um, the candidates for HR professionals, well, I'll give you some very specific examples for things they're looking for. People who are working in HR, they're looking for individuals who um, have uh, superb stakeholder management skills, they have effective communication skills, and they um, are very structured and planned in how they approach their tasks and their work. Okay. I don't know why that wouldn't be a good skill for other people to have relative to HR, but there it is for engineering rules. They're looking for people who are very prudent. They are calculated in the work approach, which sounds like organized as well. Uh, they have a work safety attitude and they are ability to uh, cope with pressure in the workplace. And then another one I found on the same website was candidates for sales roles are likely to be required to exhibit some kind of a competitive nature, which I can see not being desired in all positions and then highly motivated to achieve results and then ability to initiate and close sales. So again- I also just described everything that a stuntman or daredevil should probably have in them too, right? <laughs> yes. Like work safety attitude. Yeah. yeah, you should probably still have that as well. Well, It's kind of- Yeah, no, you're completely right. It, it, these are, they're, they're pretty general. They can apply to a lot of things. A lot of these are characteristics you'd want in most jobs. And the other one, again, as I was saying, is if you go into a, a place and they're going to interview you and your job is on the line, I think the- opportunity here is to say, I'm applying for a job in which they're going to need me to be calculated in my work. Therefore, questions that I see that could be possibly possibly related to being calculated and um, precise and prudent in my work, I'm going to answer positively. And those that sound like I'm a dangerous maniac, I'm going to answer negatively. And so, you know, someone who has any ability whatsoever to understand what's going on is likely to be able to sort of use the situation to determine what kind of answers they think are most likely to land them the job, regardless of whether or not the company thinks they're right or wrong or whether the person thinks they're right or wrong. There are circumstances that might influence this. And so I'm just going to go ahead and come out right with this and give my opinion on this as a screening tool. Personality tests are bullshit, possibly as a tool for finding jobs that you want to work in. They're bullshit. And I want to go ahead and qualify that by saying that there are some utility to this. And I have heard of companies who will use these as like a team building exercise. And where that can be really awesome is where people work a lot, but they don't necessarily have a lot of interaction with one another. What these personality tests can do is they can sort of see where people have a lot of common ground. They can find where they overlap with people and where they have common interests and where they, or they can at least learn something new about people they didn't know that allows them to feel like they just have a more intimate relationship. And so 
these can be really useful in certain ways, um, but the problem is they're they're so subjective, and um, from the research that I found, they are so poorly correlated with what you can actually expect someone to do well in their job performance that for the most part, even the people who administer these come in and say this is you know they try and make it fun and they try and make it sort of like um, there is a purpose to this, but it's not necessarily going to mean that. You, you can't hire or fire someone based on the results of this sort of thing, or at least you shouldn't. And I think there are rules against that, although I'm not totally sure. And specifically... As far as I understand, it depends how you're administering them um, and which ones you're using. Uh, that I'm sure that you could make the case, and probably there are some research around that. Well, um, yeah, research separated here from practice. Very oh, yeah, differently. I see what so you're saying. My saying is like practice law-wise, like you can use them, but it's certain types. Um, and it doesn't line up with the research is my general understanding. Right. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to, I went to the research looking for um, how well these things are predictive of job performance. And I found a big study that had, uh, um, it was called a meta analysis. And what that means is it reviews basically um, a lot of data uh, about, about research that's been done on this. And based on their findings, they, sh- what they showed was that for the most part, personality types were not predictive of job performance. The one exception they found was that conscientiousness, that that level, um, this is this is specifically the big five. This wasn't even like a person a specific personality assessment tool, but with just with respect to the big five, someone who was high on the conscientiousness were more consistent with the relations to job performance criteria for all occupational groups. Other things were moderately consistent for very specific jobs, but for the most part, there really was no good predictor from personality tests on these characteristics in terms of how people would do on their job performance. Now, this is personality tests. I am by no means making the case that people who go into these these jobs like if you try and put them in the situation and see how they do, that it's a bad idea to assess them at all. Um, what I'm saying is that these doing a personality test to see how someone's general characteristic behaviors are is not going to be very predictive of how their overall performance is going to be. And if you have an organization with a culture that fosters the kind of values that you want to see in your employees, you're likely to get that out of someone almost regardless of their personality. Now, you might not get that out of someone who has a lot of other emotional or psychological disturbances that are going on from them, but just because you have someone who's really, really strongly introverted, if they come in and you are great at managing a team and you are great at building incentive for teamwork and you are great at encouraging their their participation in things, you are very likely to get someone who comes out of their shell more often than not, um, even for those sort of tough nut cases uh, for a lot of those people. So there's that. And there's another element to this that's maybe a little more general. And there's this idea in personalities and other things, which is that uh, past performance is the best predictor of future behavior. I just think that is the most misleading phrase and I dislike it so much. And it, it's, it surprises me that people who are really good psychologists buy this. And in my own opinion, what you're really looking at is that situational factors and their effect on behavior in a given situation are the best predictor of future, uh, best predictor of behavior in that same situation in the future. So, or in other words, how you learn to handle a situation best predicts how you will behave 
um, in that similar circumstance later on. So it is absolutely not that if you have one, if you observe one pattern of behavior, that's just what you're going to see. It is the circumstances that really prevented or promoted that behavior or a particular type of behavior. And those are likely to um, be the most predictive factor. Yeah. I like to think about probabilities, right? With that. So like the probability changes based on all those different factors. Yes. History yeah. being one of them. That's a great example of this is the, yeah, you have that, there are always these factors that are related to things and personality is a way of describing the general pattern, but these other factors are the real contributing variables that will help us understand whether it occurs. And so because someone has this personality type does not mean that, um, that's, that's going to predict exactly what they're going to do in every circumstance. And I've already said the research has shown that it, that's just not the case. Going back to the idea, however, where it is valid that if you have a particular strategy for dealing with things, that is going to be the strategy you're likely to use. And revisiting this idea again that although your behavior and your, your personality does become more consistent as you get older, there are a lot of things that can change that. And a lot of people who are suffering from things who get help, they can change their behavior or their personality or their uh, reaction to things in such a way that they live a more valued or a more valued driven life. Um, even if this doesn't happen until they're in their fifties or sixties or seventies or eighties, or yes, even in your nineties, your personality can change. And again, it, the longer you go practicing a particular pattern of behavior, the more likely that is to be your pattern of behavior. But there are always those circumstances that can change things. And also it's just, it's more flexible and fluid than that. You know, you'll have, Certain days you'll be more like this and certain days you'll be more like this and those all sort of wax and wane and change and contribute to your overall experience that will teach you. And so you are always, always, always learning. I think that's actually mostly my take home point is that you're, you're always learning. So to me, uh, personality is useful insofar as it can be predictive and we've shown that it can and it can be useful to help build empathy with other people where you find that you have common ground or you learn something about them where they're different and that allows you to just see them as a, a whole person and, uh, and, and to foster a, I guess, a sense of, um, I guess, intimacy or maybe not empathy is empathy, I guess, for other people. And I think that's, that's my main take home is so personality is, is a description. It is a description of a general pattern of behavior and it is predictive to a sense it is not an explanation, but it can be um, useful to uh, at least have the category for certain things. And it can also help people find, uh, it, it can help have people establish the, the relations with one another. Cool. Man, you went on it there. Yeah. I liked it. It was it was fluid. I would generally agree. I'm not like as harsh, but like I do stand <laughs> behind you on those sort of things. That's yeah. why I didn't speak up. Um, and yeah, I just uh, would like to throw out there on the empathy side too, like, uh, if you really self-identify with these personality types, like it's not a personal attack, I guess, right? Like, yeah, it's no, I definitely don't want to feel people to feel like we're attacking them for this. It's it's the whole concept of pers personality and how this has been. It's a little bit, it's a little derailed the uh, some psychological research, and it also I think has gotten in in the way, uh, or it has is raised some humanitarian issues around employment. Cool. Uh, is there anything else to hit? I guess I want to apologize to any psycho, uh, personality researchers I offended. <laughs> I mean, I think really the call to action would be like, give us a call and let's chat more and let's see if there's any more utility beyond what we've talked about yeah. and our perceptions and understanding. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I, I agree. If you can convince me, I will be convinced. Yes, we are open. Um, with that said, I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think we're done. Um, thanks to the listeners. Thanks to our Patreon supporters. Anything you can do, like, share, subscribe. 
uh, share the word, whatever it is. Leave comments and ratings. Yes, it's very much appreciated. Repost. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, So I think that's it. This is Ryan O. This is Abraham. And we are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.